small thing that you're making something very beautiful that's often at the cost of some pain and some hurt. I think the heart of the mother is connected to the child probably about as close as God is connected to the child and stuff. So that's just just a very little thing, which I will leave there because you're holding the baby. And to David, I want to just present to you an empty photo album because I'm going to charge you to fill this photo up, photo album up with Micah having his first Bible study, Micah saying grace, Michael going to um, Sunday school, Micah on a microphone playing the drums because Dad taught him, Micah preaching, Micah prophesying. I want you to fill up this with memories. I want you to build memories for your son and your whole family, of course. But so much of what life is is that uh, the film is developed out of a negative, isn't it, by showing the light through it. And I'm sure there will be things that will come into Micah's life that will be negative. But I want you to be the man who will show the light through those negative things so that it will paint a picture and a memory that he can build his life on. And so that's what I'm going to present to you as a little keepsake for today. You happen for the iPad? Actually, this isn't mine to give away, but I'm very grateful to have it. And, of course, Jesus himself in Luke chapter 2 was taken for a dedication when he was eight days old. He was taken to the temple to be dedicated of the Lord because it is something to give thanks and praise to. And so I've got a baby dedication here and of which there are some responses. So they haven't heard this yet, so I'm going to tell them what their response is. And you guys also have a response as well, because we're going to bring a charge to you as well. So I'm going to lead the first um, statement to you, David and Lisa. And your response will be, we are a blessed family. Can you say that? Okay. So the child you hold is a gift from your heavenly father. Before the thought of this little boy entered your mind, Lord had already determined on the 3rd of February that Micah Bolt would be born to you, David and Lisa, and you'd become parents. Micah's birth is therefore an occasion to celebrate and reflect on God's goodness. David and Lisa, what is your response? We are a blessed family. Isn't that good? Isn't that very good? Okay, now we're going to do the next one. And your response are, on this occasion, is we are a committed family. Okay. Uh, scripture commands that you as parents are to teach your child about the Lord Jesus Christ. Only then will he be adequately equipped for the challenges of this life and sufficiently prepared to meet the Lord when he returns. Your child's spiritual welfare will not be accomplished by simply telling him about Jesus. It is the words of your mouth combined with the obvious presence of the Holy Spirit in display in your own life that will effectively communicate the message of God's love and saving power to your little boy. The birth of your son needs to inspire within both of you a greater resolve to let Christ shine through you by being even more intentional in your pursuit of holiness and the supremacy of God in your home. David and Lisa, what is your response? Fantastic. Okay, now I'm going to talk to you guys. And your response is this. We are a blessed and committed family. Do you want to just practice that at the count of three? One, two, three. We are a blessed and committed family. Very good. 
As a church, we are all part of the family of God. As a family, we need to work alongside David and Lisa in their efforts to portray Christ to their child. Are we merely spectators or will we rise to the challenge of being brothers and sisters in Christ and exhibit godly characteristics and thus provide continuity between what is being taught at the home and what is being seen at church? Congregation, what is your response? Fantastic. We're going to read one more charge to you as a congregation, and the response is the same. We are a blessed and committed family. As a family, we must be willing to hold one another accountable and confront one another when a mistake is made in order that purity and the integrity of our commitments are maintained. You have heard Dave and Lisa state their commitment to a greater level of Christ-likeness for the sake of Micah. Will you now acknowledge their commitment and indicate your willingness to help them to keep their promise? Church, what is your response? Fantastic. Now we're going to pray for both the little bub and David and Lisa. One of you might just stand, reach out your hands towards them. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've brought these two together, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this little life, Micah. And Lord, we pray, Lord, a blessing upon him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his face will always be towards, Lord, his guardian angel, that there will be protection around him like a hedge father, Lord, that nothing will come nigh unto him, Lord, that you will satisfy him with long life and that he'll grow up in a family where there'll always be love and acceptance and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Lord, bless David, Lord, as the mantle of the husband and the Father, Lord, of just not one, but, Lord, a, a, a nice little tribe, Lord, you've given him a quiver for. Bless him, Father, wisdom. Lord, I pray that you'll help him to see it, Lord. It's not just a side issue, but, Lord, it's his main task, Lord, is to be a king and a priest and a prophet, firstly to his own flock. And the Father, for Lisa, bless her, Lord, in her energy and entrepreneurship, Lord. Father, she is a Proverbs 31 woman, yes. Lord, and we just bless her in the name of Jesus Amen. Amen. And everybody said, very cute, very cute. So let's give them a hand. God bless you. Thanks, guys. You may be seated. Now, we have been, if you're visiting with us uh, today, uh, in the middle of a series on spiritual warfare. And today we've actually got to that session about the sword of the Spirit. And uh, I do like my sword. And I love the sound it makes when you take it out. It doesn't have that singing sound that you get in some of the things. But it's not a bad little dagger, is it? My new letter opener. And uh, so, so this morning, if I need to make a point, I can. <laughs> I was going to pass it around, but I thought, I don't know, some of you would just... You just say, oh, what are you doing? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, but part of what we've been suggesting to you is that to properly understand spiritual warfare, it really does involve understanding that it's something that we don't do as individuals. It's something that we substantially do together. Uh, often when people talk about spiritual warfare, it's seen as a very individualistic uh, dynamic when real, it's something that we do together. 
And we do have a video, which uh, I did up a couple of weeks ago, which I think Sam's repaired, that will just uh, tap into a great old song and hopefully uh, inspire you to be the army of God together.
It's a great old song, isn't it? But one of the uh, key frames that the Bible uses to describe the church of Jesus Christ is that of warfare. And one whole branch of the church of Jesus Christ is taken up, taken that as their central motive. And we know them as the salvation. You know, they actually have the uh, uniforms, they have the ranks and all that sort of stuff. And in the old days, the Salvation Army, they could literally in those days of fire, fire, blood and water, they would take a town for Jesus Christ. They would walk in and they would start children's ministries. They would raid the hotels and there was a sense of righteousness and movement of the Holy Spirit that whole towns could have been converted in the name of Jesus Christ because of militants. And I think that part of what God will do in these last days is move the church from being sport brats and be me, 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 bless me, bless mine, and bless every, you know, and thine. So move us from there to being more the army of the Lord, more militant, understanding that God has placed us on earth to actually move forward his kingdom, that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, and it's the forceful that lay hold of it, Jesus said. And so this is coming on to the end of this series, and so this particular week, we are looking at the sword of the Spirit. But just the next slide, thank you. Just to quickly again recap, the message version puts it that this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life and death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. This is serious stuff. Turn to your name and say, this is serious. People die. People get lost. People go to lost eternity because this is for real. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we make two mistakes about the devil. Some make him too small. Some make him. But he's somewhere in the middle. We say that about a third of the miracles, if you go through and you analyze all the miracles that Jesus did, about a third of the miracles directly relate to the place of the supernatural. Demons and evil forces, which probably gives us a bit of a feel as to what it's about. Not everything's the devil's fault. Sometimes it's my stupidity that's at fault. Sometimes it's because I live in a world that's subject to decay and frustration. If I step out in front of a bus because I haven't looked to the left and looked to the right, paused, stopped and looked, checked it again, and the bus takes me out, that's probably not the devil. It's probably me being stupid. True? Probably the bus. Okay. So stuff is related to a fallen creation. Some stuff's related to the fact that I, I need to exercise wisdom. But another part of it is spiritual. Some of the stuff that comes against your marriage, some of the stuff that comes against your business, some of the stuff comes against your church, whatever it might be, is spiritual. The devil doesn't like you and he desires to destroy you. Jesus said that the thief comes to kill, maim, and destroy. But I have come that you might have abundant life. So we know what the agenda of the enemy is. So next slide, thank you. So be strong. And in his. Be strong. And in his. Be strong. And his mighty power. So we need to be dressed for battle. Who wants to win? Absolutely. Well, if you want to win, get dressed. Who wants to be a hockey goalkeeper without the gear on? You know, that, that, that could hurt. You know, have you seen them play ice hockey? I reckon that's one of the most brutal games. Who, you know, American gridiron football, you know, but you put enough gear on, you feel a bit safer. 
I felt like I could do an illustration today where I could get someone, I could get a hammer. And I'd say, would someone like me to bang them on the head with a hammer? I don't think I would have got any takers at all. But if I put a crash helmet on their head, it says, would anybody be worried now if I was to bang them on the head with a hammer? They'd probably say, not a problem. Because they've got the appropriate protection. God has provided you and I with protection because we're dressed for battle and destined to win. God wants you to win. Turn to your neighbor. God wants you to win. Tell me, tell them. Win. Thank you. Next, next slide. So we looked at the belt of truth. This is actually putting truth as the objective truth of God's word in the core of your being. It's something that we don't like to hear because we would rather there to be a microwave Christian fix for that, that there's a magic there's something magic that we could do. We could wear a cross or we could uh, get some holy water or something. We don't like to hear that we actually have to take the objective revelation of God's word and build it into the core of our being, truth. But you cannot win unless you're walking in truth. Next one, belt of truth, uh, the arm of righteousness. This is particularly to protect the heart because of condemnation, so we put on God's righteousness. We take his gift of righteousness to us. And then when the enemy comes of condemnation and conviction, tells us that we're rotten, we can agree with him. We're rotten, but Jesus is good. And I'm wearing Jesus' stuff. It's his armor. So that protects the heart. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Guard the heart above all else, for out of it are the very issues of life. The message version puts it, that's where life starts. Life starts in your heart. Good heart, protected heart, you're strong. Bad heart, unprotected heart, you're weak and vulnerable. Protect your heart. God gives us the right gear to protect the heart. That's his righteousness. The marvelous miracle that Jesus did upon the cross gives us the ability to protect ourselves in that zone. Next slide, thank you. Uh, The ready-to-do shoes. So gospel is just not about thinking right things, it's about doing right things. It's the ability to actually cross the room and talk to someone about your faith. It's the ability to cross the street and talk to your neighbor about, can I mow your lawn? It looks looking a bit long. It's ready to do shoes. The great Christian uh, gospel has to be mobile and moving. It provided, of course, stability, mobility and protection. Next slide. Then we looked at the shield of faith. In addition, so we've looked at how the, three, the first three parts of the armour were the passive place of any soldier. When the soldier's at rest, they still have the belt of truth on, they still have the um, breastplate of righteousness, and they still have their shoes on. But then when you then move to war, you pick up a couple of things. You don't always have those things They're close by and they're ready. But when you actually go from the defensive mode into offensive mode, you then take up your shield and you take up your helmet and you take up your um, sword, of course, and then you move forward. So we know that when it comes to spiritual warfare, that there's one essential thing that we're required to do, and that is to stand and then stand and then stand and having done everything else to stand. Don't run, stand in formation, stand together and you'll be strong because we are destined to win. So in addition, take up that shield of faith, which we can quench some of the fiery darts. No, we can quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy. Fantastic. There's absolutely nothing in the world that can defeat a properly dressed soldier 
knows their place in God, you will quench all the fiery darts. Not, not just some, just not the little ones, but all of them you'll be able to win against. Isn't that wonderful? Why don't you just build that into your thinking right now? Here's the big idea that there is nothing in this universe that can actually cause you to be defeated. The Bible says that there's nothing in your past, nothing in your present, nothing in your future, nothing above the earth, nothing on the earth, not even below the earth, neither famine, neither sword, neither nakedness, neither things to come, neither things that will be, but nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can defeat you. These people seem to believe that. (laughs) There is nothing that can defeat you. It's what the Bible says. Now, it's conditional. You do actually have to be prepared for the battle, dressed for the battle. But there is nothing. If God is for you and He's with you, how can you lose? You can't lose. You can't lose. He's with you. He will never leave you. Sorry. So the next slide. Thank you. And then last week, we looked at the helmet of salvation which is particularly talking about walking in the revelation of what God has done when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. When you became a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, a miracle took place. You just didn't have your thinking changed, but you were dead towards God. Your body was alive because you were here or somewhere else or at the crusade, whatever. Your body was alive, you were breathing. But your spirit towards God was not connected in living relationship. Your spirit was dead. And then when you came into the place where you heard the good news of Jesus Christ and you invited Jesus to come into your life to wash away your sins and to change you from the inside out, a miracle took place. And the Holy Spirit, the third member of the triune God, came into your life and you became born again. You became born anew. You became born from above. So you need two birthdays to get into heaven. You need your first birthday, otherwise you're not here. That's, you know, for me, 54 years ago. And then you need your second birthday when not only your body's made alive, but your spirit is made alive to God. And the Bible says that when that takes place, all the old things are passed away and everything's become brand new. And you have become a new species in God, to use Woos version. You become a brand new creation. You're not what you used to be. You're now more than what you used to be because you've come into life. And the Bible says that when that takes place, that the power of God, the same power that lifted Jesus from the dead, now lives within you. And so the Apostle Paul, as he starts off the book of Ephesians, He goes through this incredible thing saying that you're in Christ, you're in Jesus, you're in the Son, you're in Him, you're in Him, you're in Him. Then in verse chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I pray. I pray that your eyes would be opened, that your heart would be enlightened, that you would see just how big this power is, just how huge this power is that you have in your inheritance in God. It's the same power that took Jesus out of the grave and lifted him above all the powers, 
Lifting him above all the cancer. Lifting him above all the relationship breakdown. Lifting him above everything that would ever make you cry or suffer. It lifted him above all that and seated him in the highest place. That's good power. But then that same power lifted you and put you alongside him in the heavenlies. And he's asking God to give you and me and the Ephesians and the Armadalians a revelation of what that is. Because if you get it, it changes everything. It means that you're no longer just a person who left school at 14, lived a a bad life and whatever your story might be. Now I'm a son of God. Now I've been lifted by God and planted in a family. Now I have the peace of God that's beyond all understanding. Now I have the wisdom of God so I can fathom all mysteries. Now I have the power of God. Now I can be strong in the Lord. Now I can be an overcomer in all circumstances. Now greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. I have been changed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And The idea is if I can understand my identity is no longer that I am the offspring of a Kathleen Jean Rose Keating and a Brian Keating, middle-class Catholic dysfunctional family with a certain amount of education, a son of a school teacher, this long, long, long line of a son of school teachers, that's no longer who I am. It's a part of who I am. Before there was even a star twinkling in the universe, God had me in his mind eye and he chose me and he created me before the foundation of the world to walk in good works, that he has a destiny for me and a destiny for you. If you can live in that, then you know that you're going to be different. So friends, who do you think you are? Because that will determine all you do in life. Who do you think you are? Turn your name and say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Changes everything. Where do you think you are? Do you think you're trapped in Armadale? Do you think you're trapped below circumstances? Or do you believe you're seated in the place of reigning and power and peace? Are you with angels today or with your humans? Where are you today? Where's your identity? And the Bible says that if you put that on your head, if you'll protect your thinking with who you are and where you are, then you've got something that will protect you in warfare, that your head's going to be okay, that your head's screwed into the wrong place because it's, it's bolted into revelation in God. This is what the book of Ephesians is trying to get us to own, that you're not in the Ephesian church. They were struggling with the, the black magic arts and we looked at the temple of Di- Di- Artemis and Diana and... The fact that she was the archer, the one firing the fiery darts, all these. Instead of being worried, when they had a revival, Christians came out and burnt their black magic arts and amulets and all their stuff and things because they were still in bondage to it. That's why Paul's praying for revelation. You know, get rid of your death metal music. Get rid of your drugs. Get rid of the stuff that you think buys you happening. Change your thinking. Where are you today? Who are you today? Who do you think you are will affect all of that. And that clock is a terrible thing. 
So I wanted to say it, but we'll move on. Move on. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What's the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. So you've all got a sword here today, haven't you? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Word of God is the Spirit of the, is the sword of the Spirit. You cannot win unless you've got the Word of God. And in this particular passage, uh, the text is talking about the rhema Word of God. The Greek word's rhema, and there's a lot of controversy over the Greek and stuff. But in short, without dragging into all that stuff now, what it's really talking about here is the spoken Word of God. And so the Romans had a long sword and they had the short sword. The long sword, I think, is, if you like, the Word of God between Genesis chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 23. Okay, You need the long sword at times. You need that. But when you come to the warfare, when you come to actually fighting, you actually need the spoken Word of God. It's the Word of God on your lips that becomes powerful, and it's that quickened Word of God. It's no longer the general Word of God. It's a unique, specific Word that you believe God has given you for that situation. If we had time, I'd give you some examples of that. There was on one occasion, just to use one from my point of view, was, and some of you know this story, the trouble is if you're in one church for 11 years, you end up telling all your same stories and then you forget which ones have you told and which ones haven't you told and which ones are true and which ones aren't. <laughs> no, no, no. True story. I, um, my uh, son, Tristan, was probably just a little ticker-tacker, maybe six years of old, age and he had the flu so uh, my wife persuaded me on the wisdom of taking him to see the the doctor so we went to the doctor over in Quinana and uh, we're sitting there eventually go into the surgery he looks at Tristan so yeah he's got a bit of thing gave him some antibiotics I think and stuff and then because I'm a cheapskate I had a bit of a cough, so I thought I'd say, can you look at me at the same time? I'll get two for one of you, see? <laughs> so, so he tapped on my he tapped on my chest, and he gave me a stethoscope. He got that little cold thing, put it all over my chest and stuff, and listened to me. And he said, have you ever had any history of asthma in your family? He says, oh, yeah, my sister had asthma. He says, well, you've got asthma. So he wrote me out a script for Ventolin, and I walked out of that doctor's surgery and without lying, I suddenly said, I don't want this. And I threw that script in the bin. I don't know where it came from. I just, I don't want it. Walked out and we went home. On the way home, I think I had an asthma attack. I actually think it was spiritual. And on the way home, I thought I was going to die. I was seriously in trouble, couldn't breathe. And the Holy Spirit just dropped that scripture, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, into my heart, that by his stripes you were healed. And it, it sort of went off of my spirit. So I, I, I just thought it, and nothing was happening. I was just losing my breath, losing my breath. I was struggling. I was going to have to pull off the side of the road. And then I began to say it. By your stripes you were healed. God, because I was healed, I claim my healing now in the name of Jesus. And I started to do that. And then by the time I got home, it was gone. And I have never had asthma ever since. So I give God praise and glory for that. So when you come to warfare, 
you actually need something beyond just the written word of God, but a specific word from God for you for that situation. It's really important. Kerry's going to tell me about one that he had. You are. I've changed my mind. I guess the one that I, when, when you've been a Christian a while, there's a few of them, but the one that probably means a lot to us is uh, we'd come out of a bad church situation and um, we had, I'd lost a couple of jobs. Um, we were, had no money. We had a young family. We just got a mortgage and we borrowed for carpets and you name it, everything was going wrong that could go wrong. And, you know, we were seeking God and we had a visiting... So this is a rhema word from someone else. as a prophetic, prophetic word for us. And this person came, came over me and said, you know, you're going to have a business. It's going to be successful and you're going to have authority in the business world. I didn't, didn't have a business, but I registered a business name. And, and from that moment, there was a few other personal things said over Jill as well that, you know, I probably won't share here, but re- probably release does. And if that word didn't come... At that particular time, I don't know where we would have been. I really don't know where we would have been. God knows, you know, but I don't know where we would have been. And to God's grace, if someone ever says to me, why are you in business? Why do you do what I do? I can go back to that word and say, because God said all those years ago. Now, it's probably 15, 16 years ago now, and I still hold that word every single day. You know, and, and I thought, yeah, that was God. That was just coming in and giving us a word that we didn't ask for, but it came. And I'm grateful it came. So. That's good. Thank you. And, you know, I know Roger and Kath have stories like that. I know we have personal stories like that. But when you go to warfare, you must have a word from God. When Esseline was standing in for a little granddaughter, she had a word from God. Sometimes that word doesn't even relate to the historical grammatical interpretation of the verse. You know, it could actually be something that God just drops in your spirit and stuff like that. But to win at war, you do need the sword of the Spirit. It's just not the general word now. It's a specific word of God for that situation. And I want to tell you, once you've got it, there's something about having this in your hand. You actually feel like going to battle. (laughs) You actually feel like, I want to bring it on now. Come on, I'm ready to fight now because I've got my sword. Some of you need a word from God, and when you've got that word from God, it changes your morale amazingly. Next slide. I am conscious that time's ticking by. Okay, so the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6 actually relates both to the public offense when the army is walking forward, and that relates particularly to the spoken word of God and to sacrifice. Paul says in verse 19, I think it is, that pray for me that I'll proclaim the gospel fearlessly. He's in jail. He's actually suffering for the cause of the gospel. So when the church of Jesus Christ moves forward, when we go forward together, our responsibility, the big idea is that we're meant to speak up. We're meant to speak up, guys, in the schools, in the committees, in the canteen. We are meant to speak up as the church of Jesus Christ. There are two, there's a, there's a uh, petition going around. 287,000 people in America have signed a petition that they want to remove Christian television off the airs, air in America. 
Now, quite frankly, I think some of it should go, personally. But the blockage to freedom of speech is a real issue, I think. And all the devil wants you to do is to close your mouth. Don't speak up. When the poster goes up on the wall of the woman who's dressed inappropriate, all the devil wants you to do is to keep your mouth closed. All that the devil wants you to do is to keep your mouth closed when it comes to internet pornography filtering and stuff. All the devil wants you to do is when someone says, I'm coming out of the closet, is to keep your mouth closed. Friends, can I charge you in the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that if the church is going to win the battle, we have to stand up and speak out. What the Bible tells, what the good news is, whether that might take us to jail as it did for the Philippian, as it did for Paul, or takes us into other places, the church needs to speak. We cannot keep the message just here. That's the public thing. The private thing comes back to the specific word of God that you need for that individual situation. Friends, let me suggest to you that at some stage, all of us are going to have a health issue come our way. Yeah, eventually, you live long enough, a health issue will come your way. I'm going to say that if that's a spiritual attack on your life, are you ready to declare what God has said? Do you have a specific word of God? Do you know how to search the scriptures? Do you know how to search after God? God, talk to me about this, that I might have a sword for this situation, that I might put it on my mouth and say it. Say it? Say it. So as we say the word, that things actually begin to happen. Next, next slide. So this is, a, of course, exactly what Jesus did in the wilderness. The devil came and he tempted him, tested him for 40 days and 40 nights. He says, uh, you know, as he became hungry, you know, turn these stones into bread. Of course, in that particular time, the stones looked very much like bread. And really, it's the temptation Will God look after your provision, friends? Will God pay your bills? Will God look after you in the terms of material provision? Will he fill that part of your life? Well, Jesus responded with a specific word from God. He won the battle because he responded with the word of God, which is that the spiritual is more important than the material that thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he got victory in the area because he spoke out the word of God. He put it on his lips and he broadcast it, saying, this is what I believe. And it says in the Greek there, it says, it stands written. It was written and has benefit to this day and continues on to, the, to reach me in this present hour. You know, throw yourself down from this high place and see if the angels are there. Here we have God, the devil actually twisting the word of God. Friends, listen to me. The word of God can be used to deceive just as much as can be used to bless. The devil can come, bring the word and misapply it. And he says that, that, you know, don't test the Lord your God, but worship him alone. In other words, I'm going to put you first, God, in this. And then says, showed him all the principalities, all the kingdoms of this world, all its wealth and riches. And again, the response was, it is written. 
When spiritual attack comes, it's great to have your shield of faith. It's great to have your shoes, your belt of truth. It's great to have your salvation. But if you want to win, you've got to have something in your mouth. This is your sword. This little thing here is your sword. The tongue will bring about your victory or your defeat. You know that the Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Next slide. Thank you. No, God breathed into this world, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. Everything God does is by the word of his mouth, by the breath of his life. And God has chosen you to do the same thing. Every victory God has for you is going to come out of your mouth first. Every victory God intends you has got to come out of your mouth, comes to the heart, then it's expressed through the mouth. But as you say it, things happen. Things move. God breathes. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says that by faith we understand that the world was formed with words. It was framed by words. We also frame our world by the words that come out of our mouth. If I constantly say that I'm a victim, that I can't win, that life stinks, that I'm horrible, that I'm a failure, that I can never make it, I'm building my world. I'm building my world with my words. If you want to change your world, can I tell you in Jesus' name, please change your words. Get a God-inspired, specific, rhema, spoken promise of God. Put it on your lips, speak it out, and your world will change as you move forward into what God has called for you. So um, we're going to have the uh, musicians up, thanks. And the next slide, uh, just, you know, it's a call to duty. It's spiritual warfare. May God release our mouth today to actually speak out the promises of God for our life. Some of us may need to search out what that word is. But uh, let's sing that song, uh, You Are My Shield. What are you going to say of the Lord? There's a line in that particular song that says, And I will say of the Lord, You are my shield. Can we move beyond it just being a song service into a place of revelation. And I will say of the Lord, you are my healer. And I will say of the Lord, you are my restorer. What will you say of the Lord? Because what you say is your sword. Do you understand that today? What you say, what you continue to say establishes the very material of faith that God can use to bless and bring you a miracle. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge. What will you say of the Lord? We can sing the song. Oswald Chambers has said that uh, it's only Christians who sing their lies. Ouch. Ouch. Let's uh, stand and uh, let's sing this song. Let's make it real for us today. I will say of the Lord, whatever you're facing, whatever your issues are, What are you going to say to the Lord? He's my helper. He's my friend.